My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here at Missio. Um, it's good to see familiar faces and uh, guests as well and online. I don't see you online, but you see me. Um, we're heading into Thanksgiving. You've heard it three times at least already. Um, and that means right after that is Advent and the holiday season. Is anyone getting anxious yet? Right? Like, there's a part of me that gets really anxious around the holidays. Um, it's not necessarily the events or the gift giving or the decorating. Actually, my anxiety starts to come from family. And, you know, like, I'm starting to hear that as a theme as I talk to different people. This week I was talking to a young married guy, and they were saying, how complicated it is to figure out what to do on Thanksgiving. So do we go and spend time with my in-laws in the morning, and then they actually expect us to stay for dinner, but then that conflicts with my family's tradition of doing dinner, and so I can't win either way, right? There's this, this anxiety that comes as we, we have to deal with our families. And so I was like, man, what's the solution? You could be more like, like Dom and Christine and just head to Korea, like four other families too. As I'm watching on Instagram, I'm seeing like, they're meeting up with like three or four different people that are from here in Portland and they're over there. I'm like, that's a good idea. Let's get away and do that um, instead of having to face the complications of family. But that's not actually how we do it. Um, we have to actually step into family and deal with the, the anxiety, deal with the complicatedness. And friends, I, I want to encourage you in this holiday that expect that you're going to get triggered. Expect that you're going to have a conversation or a situation that makes you cringe a little bit when you're dealing with family. That will happen. But I want to remind you that in those situations, you're still loved. You're still worthy. And at the same time, the person that is triggering you is still loved and they are still worthy in the view of God. I'll get to why I'm talking about this in a little bit, but I'm going to give you a second to take a deep breath and resettle yourself after I've kind of raised the anxiety. So take a couple seconds and take a deep breath. I need to take a deep breath because I'm already kind of, I already feel it just talking about it. And let me pray over us before we go into the message. God, as we enter into the holiday season, would you remind us that we are your children, that you love us and that we are worthy, that you love our families and they are worthy to be loved. May we be people of grace, people of love, modeling after you, Lord. Empower us to be present with our families, in the conflict and in the issues. Let us be healthy and, and, 
and healing agents of change in our families. So we pray a covering over, um, over us this week and throughout the next month as we um, are present with our families. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been in a series and, and looking through Colossians, and the series has been called Jesus Above All Else. We saw last week in chapter 3 that the Apostle Paul tells the church in Colossae that following Jesus means following his new humanity. Because their, their lives have been joined with the risen Messiah. They've been joined with the risen Jesus. This is why he challenges the Colossians to set your minds on things above where the Messiah rules and reigns. Paul's not talking about um, thinking about someday we'll be in heaven, leaving earth, and going to heaven. That's not what he's talking about when he says, set your minds on things above where the Messiah rules and reigns. But that heaven is where Jesus is seated and reigns, and one day he'll come back. Paul's talk in this, his, his challenge is that we as Christians live in the present as the kind of humans that we will become on the other side. Paul uses imagery of the old humanity. And the old humanity was characterized by idolatry, evil desires, sexual immorality, all of the lists that kind of make you feel like, ugh. And then he uses the image of the new humanity. The human, humanity, that, that old humanity dies with Jesus and is replaced by the new humanity that is characterized by mercy, by generosity, kindness, humani uh, humility, patience, love. Then he says in verse... Uh, uh, in chapter 3, verse 11, that humanity transcends the social and ethnic boundary lines. He says, here there is no Greek, no Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. He resets our understanding of what it means to be human in this new humanity. And this is where we take off today, Colossians 3, 18 and 4, 1, where Paul gets more uh, practical and shows us how this new humanity should play out in Christian households. Right? This, is, this is why I was talking about in the introduction about, man, you got to be with your families this holiday season. Right? There's a practical way that we engage and live into this new humanity in Christian households, and this is what Paul is going to talk about today. So Colossians chapter 3, 18 through chapter 4, 1. Let's read. Wives, submit to your husbands as 
it is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. If you read this passage with modern day lens, it is loaded with cultural triggers. This is one of those passages that you have to step back and take a deep breath and ask, what is the writer addressing? So we're going to take time and unpack it. All right. It's a short passage, but full of triggers for us in modern day. We have to remember that Paul is writing to the church in Colossae. He is not writing to us in 2023. When you read the Bible and when you're studying the Bible, when you work through it, you have to remember that the Bible is written for us, not to us. This letter is written to the Colossians for specific purposes, for their time in working through what they are working through as a culture. The Bible is written for us so that we can work through what we are working through in our culture. So we have to work through that, figure it out. How is this passage, what is Paul's saying for us today? Paul's letter is challenging the Christians in Colossians to live into their new humanity and what that looks like in the first century Roman household. Roman households were highly authoritarian. Male patriarchs held the power of life and death over his wife, children, and slaves. We're not talking about just who leads the home or who has the final say. We're talking about patriarchs in the Roman culture who had the power of life and death over anyone in their household. Their wife, their children, their slaves, anybody. They had the right to treat them the way they wanted to. So as we start this this passage, we, we see that Paul instructs the wives. In that culture, the women were unprotected outside of marriage. She would be on her own without a husband. No 
way to make a living. No position to survive or, or thrive on her own. So the wives had no way of, of taking care of themselves. So she had no option. She could not leave the household. She would just have to endure the demands and the abuse of the husband. So when we see and we read, wives, submit to your husband as fitting in the Lord, what does that mean for us today? When we hear the word submit, it's a harsh word, right? Because our language with submit, the English language says this, to submit is to accept or yield to a superior force or to the authority or will of another person. Let me read it again, and, and I think we have a slide for that. To submit is to accept or yield to a superior force or to the authority or will of another person. Church, I have to confess that this word, this phrase, this passage has been used to abuse others in the church and in marriages far too often. Because of our misunderstanding and interpretation of sub submit, it has been used poorly. People, mostly men in dominant society, see themselves as the superior force and authority where they impose their will and expect the others to yield. This is not the way of Jesus. This is the vision of the old humanity when it talks about submission. In the new humanity, all Christ followers are to come under the holy, perfect, loving, grace-filled, superior force and authority of Jesus. The force and authority that Jesus has, he, he does not wield this selfish, abusive power. The Lord is gentle and slow to anger. The Lord is grace-filled and loving. And so when he is in authority, he does it completely different than the world. He gives vision for new humanity. So wives, how are we to understand this passage today? To submit to your husband means to understand and support him in ways that honor Jesus. To understand and support the husband in ways that honor Jesus. To work together for flourishing and good in the household. To be clear, if you are being coerced, 
if you are being forced, if you are being abused in your marriage, that is not honoring Jesus. And you need to step out and find help. Our churches have too long allowed that to happen. And so we need to be clear, men, it's a different type of power and authority that God has given you. You have to live into new humanity. And women, to submit to somebody doesn't mean to be abused. This leads us to talk about husbands. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Men, this is the minimum. Paul is addressing this patriarchal system where men treated their wives like property, disregarding their humanity. So loving... Loving your wife and not treating her harshly was revolutionary. Loving your wife and not treating her harshly in the Roman culture was revolutionary. Let me challenge you, husbands, to go all out in love for your wives. Think of the ways that Jesus has loved you and sacrificed for you. He is your example of love of loving grace. For many of us, many of this, the men in this room or online, you did not have strong examples of a role that the husband should play. The male figure in your home may have been aloof, they may have been demanding, they may have been totally absent, or violent with their wife. You may find yourself falling into some of these patterns because that's all you saw and that's all you knew. It's the old humanity. Men, we cannot, we must not choose that path. We must vow to leave old humanity and live into new humanity. What does it look like to be a husband who is present, to be a husband who is gentle, who is loving, who is for their bride and lifting up their bride? What does that look like? It may be counter to what you ever have experienced in your own home growing up. But we look to Jesus. We understand that this is the call of a Christ-centered husband. You see, the patriarch of the household is subject to Jesus. By loving your wife and placing her well-being above your own, you are living into that new humanity that Jesus invites us into. Then he moves on in Colossians 3, 20 through 21. 
And he says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Again, we go back to first century Rome. This culture gave no value to children. Some of us grew up with this notion that children should uh, be seen but not heard. That would have been nice in Roman culture, <laughs> right? Children were just things. They were lowly, probably treated worse than dogs, right? They're just in the way, therefore the women to take care of. They didn't have a voice. In a home where Jesus is Lord, children are not objects, but are called to maturity and respect. Children are called into personhood, into a new humanity. Parents are to raise their children with patience and understanding, knowing that that is their role as a disciple of Jesus, is to disciple your children. Looking through the lens of today, this is still applicable. Don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Parents, we can't come down our ch on our children so hard. We can't keep our thumb on them constantly because they will be discouraged, their spirits will be broken, and they may rebel because of it. I didn't ask permission to share this, but I'm going to anyways. <laughs> A few years ago, I realized how harshly I was treating my own kids. We were in the kitchen, and my son was, was pouring out a glass of juice on the counter. So he puts the glass of juice down, and he starts to pour it in. And you know what's going to happen, right? That cup tips over, goes all over the counter as he's still pouring, and it's all over the floor. I'm at, I'm at the sink, and I turn around. And he goes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to, I mean, and he's just like in a whirlwind trying to like flip it back up and like, like running to grab a towel. And he's just, I'm just so sorry, I didn't mean to. I mean, friends, I'm not a guy that I've never hit or beat my kids, so they're not like flinching like this, right? But this was like an emotional flinch where his first reaction is, dad's gonna blow his top, right? He was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Where does that come from? It comes from a dad who constantly was putting a thumb on the kids. A dad who was expecting them to rise up and be perfect. A dad who, created high standards that were really difficult to achieve and then raised the bar again and again. A dad that was modeling what I saw growing up. This old image 
of how to behave and how to be right in the family I was bringing along with me into my own family. When I was growing up, it was called the toe way or no way. And I used to lead in the same way. And I joke about leading the same way now. But that was, that was this old self that had to die. Because what was happening to my kids? They were walking on eggshells. They were afraid to make mistakes. They needed to be perfect. And that was coming from the father, this father, putting my thumb on them. Parents, we need to be more like Jesus, extending grace and gentleness. We don't forsake counsel and creating boundaries and limits. Our Heavenly Father does that as well, right? Jesus sets boundaries, he sets limits, but he also has grace extended to us. He also has gentleness and love. Children, you are instructed to obey your parents. This pleases God. But here's the secret, and it's not so secret. God is already pleased with you. God loves you. He sees you. You don't have to earn his love. When this passage says that honoring and obeying your parents, it pleases the Lord, it means that God is happy, that it's good, that you, when you listen and you obey and you're getting along with your parents and you have relationship with your parents, that brings joy to the Father. It brings joy to your Heavenly Father. It brings joy to Jesus. That you can listen and not block out your parents. That you can trust them and what they say. God delights in that. Because if you can learn to do that with your earthly parents, you can learn to do that with your heavenly father. That you learn to listen to Jesus. You learn to obey Jesus. You learn to trust Jesus. That's why God is so pleased when he sees that you can do it with an earthly parent who is trying hard to live into their new humanity. Children, obey your parents in everything, for it pleases the Lord. But parents, how hard are we making it for them to do so? Just don't come down so hard on your kids that you break their spirit. The next section that 
we read into is probably the hardest to wrap our minds around in modern day culture. I was hoping I would run out of time before this, but but we'll 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 take a small glimpse, okay? And you and in verse three, uh, chapter three twenty-two, it says, "Bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service and people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord." Some of our translations say slaves instead of bond servants. For the Western reader, often uh, this equates to slavery in the ancient world, like chattel slavery that we see in pre-Civil War times. Was it the same in Roman times? Yes and no. The biggest similarity that we see between our experience in the U.S. with chattel slavery and the Roman culture is that the slave and the bond servant were considered to be the master's property. So they could be subject to, subjected to horrible treatment of these people with no regard, no legal recourse. They were property. So Paul's instruction was this, Christian slaves, he instructed Christian slaves to honor their human masters precisely because the owners were not their real masters, but Jesus were, was. That's as, that's as simple as he's going. He's saying, slaves, honor your master as, honor your masters because it's not them that are your masters, but it's Jesus that is your masters. So work and live like you're working and living for me, not for your physical boss, slave, master. And then he says, Christians who are, um, he, w- he was saying Christians who are slave owners are to understand that their slaves are not property. So if you own slaves, you need to understand that they are not your property, that rather you need to treat them like fellow members of Jesus's body to be honored, embraced in love. Now I know as we read it, this, this feels like it doesn't go far enough. It's like Paul could have gone farther, right, and said, um, abolish slavery. We have a, the fortune in hindsight to look back and look, look at what actually happens because of this. We know that the church and other cultural norms have taken on this scripture and said, and manipulated it and continued chattel slavery, and continued abusing black and brown people. The church in the past has used scripture irresponsibly to abuse other people. And we have to admit it. 
And we have to change it. We have to go back and look at scripture and go, what was the heart that was happening here? What was Paul trying to do? He didn't abolish slavery. Why? What are we called to do when we read scripture like this? What Paul was teaching at that time was revolutionary. And we have to remember that he is already walking a very fine line with the Roman church, with the Romans' culture and the church in Rome. He is reshaping the household. He is reshaping the basic institution in Rome. What he's doing is he's shaping it around who Jesus is and how Jesus rules with self-giving love. So while he doesn't abolish slavery in the household structure, what he actually does is he restructures the whole of our households. The one thing that will change our communities, the one thing that will change our government, the one thing that will change the world. He starts there and says, this is how a Christian household lives. He says, you exalt Messiah Jesus, and he demands the household to be transformed under him that Jesus is above all else, that Jesus is the force and authority that we can come under, that we can model, that we can actually see transformational change in our homes, in our lives, in our families first. He does it in a way that it completely makes the family unrecognizable to the Roman culture. What do you mean a dad doesn't have all authority to do whatever he wills over a wife, a kid, and slaves? What do you mean to be gentle and loving and caring? It looks completely different. He flips the household on its head in a culture that is run by patriarchy. And so here's the overarching heart of this passage. In our homes, in our communities, we are called to let our old humanity die to Jesus. And we are to be transformed into the new humanity, the one that Jesus has always wanted and designed for us. We are called to understand position and power. We are invited to live so differently that it's unrecognizable to dominant culture. 
We live in a way that our families and communities come under the rule and authority of Christ. Our main goal is to outdo one another in love. Encourage one another towards greater love and commitment to Jesus. What would it look like for you to come under the lordship of Christ as a husband? What would it look like for you to come under the lordship of Christ as a wife? What would it look like for you to come under the lordship of Christ as a child? What would it look like for you to come under the lordship of Christ as an employee? What would it look like for you to come under the lordship of Christ as an employer? You see how coming under Jesus and making him, Jesus, above all changes us. It changes our family. It changes our community. It can change the world. Here's the application process, application for this week. What does it look like for you to come under the lordship of Christ? In whatever role you play, in whatever position you're in, in the home. The second thing, in this holiday season, as you enter to Thanksgiving and into Advent, how can you love and honor the people in your household? Because this is what it's about. Becoming the new humanity. Treating one another, treating our families differently than we have ever known before. Extending grace and love and mercy into spaces that are so hard and so anxiety-ridden. I'm going to invite the band to come up and continue leading us through worship and song. And I'm going to open up the tables in a little bit. But as we look at the table, as we look at communion, I want us to remember what was happening that night when Jesus gathered his disciples for that last meal. Remember, Jesus had a family, but he also had the 12 that he was in community and who he called his family. And they sat around this table for one last meal. And that night, as Jesus sat with them, he shared with them the bread and the wine. And he reminded them, this is my body that is broken for you. This is my blood that is shed for you. Friends, this is the Jesus that is above all else. This is the Jesus that says, this is how you serve your family. Die to yourself and live for me. So as you come to the table, take up the bread, take up the juice, and remember Christ's body broken for you, his blood shed for you, and the grace that goes with that.